Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Welcome back, y'all. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. And we still don't have a tagline. (laughs) (laughs) We don't. But we love the ones that you guys sent in. We just, we haven't had a chance to to pick one because... I know. Rounds of applause to Katie, everyone. She had to deal with trolls for the past weekend, like so three or four days. I maybe responded to one or two, and I was just like, I'm going to let Katie's badass self take care of this, because she always does, and she slays, and I don't have the patience, so round of applause to Katie. Oh, you're, you're nice. I let a lot of it go, and I I have a lot of credit to give to our amazing followers, because a lot of you were in there um taking down the trolls and helping me out which really helped a lot because this last post you all you guys this last post on Instagram where we promoted our last week's episode it um triggered the Mormons I will say <laughs> yeah it ruffled some feathers and by some I mean a lot people were so pissed about it yeah they do not like it that we called out the family proclamation and I didn't think it was going to cause that much of a stir, honestly, but it did. And people really just came out hard with their transphobia and homophobia. And Sarah and I were baffled all weekend. Just kept getting these comments and we were like, how? How do they not see what they're saying is absolutely terrible? And the arguments just went in circles and circles. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, either get it or get the fuck off our page. Like, I just (laughs) cannot deal with it. And especially because, like, they kept, like, oh, they would, you know, use their arguments of, like, either A, bearing their testimony, which were like, ugh, that holds no credibility. Like, that's what you feel or using the argument, well, I felt it, and I I feel like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, again, not a credible argument. Like, yeah. And then the third one trying to play the victim card as if the Mormon church and members of the Mormon, 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 <laughs> the Mormon church are, like, have this victim card that can play like, oh, well, I'm sorry. This is literally not me saying this, but one of the people commenting was like, um, it's, you know, transgender person's choice to transition and they are persecuted because of that, but not, but like members of the church are actually persecuted because of their beliefs. And I was just like scratching my head the whole time thinking like, what? No. No, you choose to be a Mormon and you're not persecuted. You're questioned. There's a difference. People question you. Because you're a fucking cult. And they're not attacking you. None of us were attacking you. None of us went to your Instagram page or posted things that were attacking. They were calling out flaws and questioning things in a humorous way. If you can't get that, then, like, the the amount of hypocrisy is what baffles me. 
It was terrible. Yeah, like Sarah said, the amount of people that were saying that we were persecuting them, I was like, excuse me, (laughs) what? Do you even know what that means? Secondly, there was this woman. Well, there were quite a few of them, actually. But this one woman, I'm calling her by name. Her name is Debbie. Because Debbie was such a Karen name. Debbie was a pain in my Oh my God, you guys, she was commenting, she was replying to all of our followers' comments. Like, so she had dozens of comments responding to all of you saying things like, don't come into my space and post things about anti-Mormon. And I'm just over here. I was trying to respond to her as quick as I could because she was just boom, boom, boom. And I was trying to respond, like being like, Debbie, hello, Debbie. Hello, excuse me. You're on our page. <laughs> This is our post. We're an ex-Mormon podcast. So if you don't like it, you can keep scrolling. And she was so furious that we had used the church hashtag. And I was like, so many of you were actually helping me try to explain to her. Like how fucking uh, Instagram works and hashtags work. We have the right to use that hashtag. Our content is relevant to that hashtag. And she's just like, oh, man, she was like, you're in my space. Get out of my space. And I was like, Debbie, are you okay? Are you okay, dear? Because you are not. This is our space right now. You came onto our page. Anyway, it was just, it was a nightmare, honestly. But it was like Sarah and I were saying before we started recording, it was actually kind of funny, too, because we didn't have to do much to show the homophobia and transphobia of the Mormon people that were commenting because they did it themselves. Yeah. And we were just like, oh, wow, not a good look, but okay. (laughs) Keep them coming because you guys just keep proving it. And the amount of people that were saying that they research, they have access to the internet and they research, I was just like, no, because every source they pulled was from the church database. Like, no one was like, oh, I've actually looked into stuff. And also, one listener was like, yeah, all of the sources that we're talking about are literally on the church website. Oh, yeah. Things that we're talking about and saying Joseph Smith and talking about Joe Smith and Brigham Young, like all of that is on the church website. So we're not just like creating anti-Mormon doctrine. Like <laughs> we're just literally telling you the truth and the history. And like one, you know, Christine, one of the listeners, she made the point, which I thought was brilliant too, that like everyone commenting and being so upset, they don't even know the real church history. No. Like they, it's just mind blowing that they would take it so far and defend it to the extreme and to the point that they definitely are transphobic and racist and sexist and, you know, bigots and homophobic. They will take it to that extreme to defend it and come off like that and are like that for something they don't even know. Like they don't even know the actual history. Like for me, I just want to like shake them because once we got to that point, I know I did for sure after I left the Mormon church, I was just embarrassed Oh, that I had defended it so many times and that I, you know, definitely disrespected people. I said inappropriate things. I was hostile because I was defending it. And then I didn't even know the truth. So then I'm like embarrassed being like, fuck, like I, like, I didn't even know. And that's on me because of this church, like telling me not to look up things. 
And then and I'm then, over there looking like an idiot, being like, no, the church isn't racist. It's great. <laughs> the ch- they, and they teach you, like, I was like that as well. And uh, so it's so easy for us to see with these people that are defending it. They'll use these justifications that are really, really problematic. Like, for example, this one woman was commenting about how, because I, she was saying that, like, the church loves transgender people, blah, 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 and I was like, if you love, if they love transgender people, why do they excommunicate them? Like, it's very, very simple, right? But she was trying to say, well, you know, not everyone's perfect. Everyone has trials in life, so yeah, someone might be transgender, but someone also might have an affair, so maybe they'll go to the telestial kingdom, and I was like, okay, Put on the brakes, ma'am. Take several seats because yeah. this, it like, she was actually equating doing, like, choosing to have an affair to just being transgender. And I was like, um, what? No, not allowed. Not allowed. I give you an F. You failed. <laughs> they all felt like I can't even, or the argument that I saw too, which uh, I'm ashamed to say this is how I justified it in my head when I, like about two years before I left the church because I knew it was wrong, but I was taught this. And so I would justify it in my head like, well, if I never find an eternal companion in this lifetime, I have to be celibate for the rest of my life. So, you know, gay people could have to do the same and there's no difference. And I would justify that in my head. Oh, in. Like, it just felt so wrong to me, but I was like, no, 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 that's, that's what keeps it going. Like, that's what makes it right. Even though I, this, you know, the thought would always pop in my head, like, yeah, but you can still date. Like, as a Mormon, a straight, I'm doing air quotes, straight Mormon, you can date, you might not ever get married and have sex if you choose to remain chaste. I'm, again, doing all these air quotes. But, like, you can still date, and it's acceptable. It's not yeah. the same for members of the LGBTQ plus yeah. community in the if Mormon church. If you're straight and single, you have every every opportunity to go on dates, to hold hands, to kiss, to write love letters, like, to just be sweet with someone. Just even if normal. Yeah, even if that doesn't involve sex, you can at least have, like, romance and then you have the opportunity if you if you find it and if you want it you do have the opportunity to get married and have a sexual relationship whereas anyone who's in the lgbtq community unless they they deny their identity they don't even have they don't have the opportunity at all they just have to be alone forever and that's it's it's fucked. And last thing I'll say on this, because we have a great topic today, but I just, we wanted to talk about this and how fucked up these responses were. But the other one being too, like, and how, like, I mean, we saw this comment multiple times, like, yeah, but how does the proclamation to the world affect me- like members of the LGBT community directly? Like, how is it doing this and this, like, it doesn't affect them negatively, da, da, da. and I'm just like, hello, and Katie would make this comment, and a lot of you listeners made the comments, like, have you heard of suicide, like, and how much it impacts people in this community, especially young kids who are brought up in the Mormon church, who are questioning everything, and who just want to be themselves, and want mm-hmm. to be their true identity, 
And they can't because they're terrified or they think they're going to go to hell or someone's not going to accept them or they'll never be able to, to be themselves, like to be who they truly are. And it's just like, do you not see how that is affecting them? Like, how do you not like, where is the disconnect? Right. That I was just like, I'm, I'm baffled that you're saying that the proclamation to the world doesn't affect people. Like, I know. It, I just, I don't I wonder know. If, because I feel like if the proclamation said something about race, if it said um, it is a divine commandment of God that marriage is between a white man and a white woman only, like, they would probably see the problem in that, right? They'd probably be like, oh, yikes, that's perpetuating well, racism. We but no. <laughs> I, I also feel like a lot of more. Like, I think I'm giving them too much credit sometimes. Yeah, you are. I think they would still be like, well, and they would justify that. I mean, yeah. yeah. God. Well, anyway, you guys, thanks for letting us rant because that was a doozy. But thank you all for helping us out and for listening and being amazing, sending us the good messages that we really needed this during this time. No, I really wanted every time you guys slayed with your comments, I just wanted to somehow, like I was hoping that Instagram had, instead of just the heart, like the love thing, like a reaction that was an applause or like a yes. (laughs) Like I, every time I was just like, oh my God, that was so good. Oh my God, this listener just killed it. Oh man, like they're slaying it. Like there is no room yeah argument because you guys just killed it so thank you so much for the support and just telling the truth like just setting these people straight because as katie mentioned that we have no no tolerance for any of that no 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 so much so that katie deleted comments which i love that's the first time i've deleted but um i wasn't i I couldn't do it, and I didn't want those really hateful, transphobic comments up there that could possibly trigger someone, and I just was like, I don't, this is our platform, and I'm not, I'll I'll engage with someone if they have questions or want to have a civil discourse, but once they start saying things about being transgender is a choice and blah, 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 I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Okay, so that's that. But we have one other announcement. We do have a new Patreon member. Her Mm -hmm. name is Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us. She joined at the highest level, the Celestial Kingdom level. So big thank you. My God. (laughs) Lindsay, I'm so happy to join you in Celestial Kingdom. I know. Our Celestial Kingdom would be so much better than the Mormon Celestial (laughs) Kingdom. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so um, with that, do you want to just get into the topic? Yes, you guys, our topic, it's another light one. Yes, but it's we so it. good. I'm really excited about it. So we have to give credit, though. Someone suggested this topic, and I think Katie and I have talked about it before, and mention it maybe on a Patreon episode, but then someone also like sent in that they would think it'd be a cool episode. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, it's about, you guys, it's about Twilight. <laughs> Twilight. Oh my God. 
And if you are listening to this podcast, even as an ex-Mormon or not as an ex-Mormon, you've heard of Twilight, you know, even if you didn't read it, it was a huge thing. Like, I remember when it like it first came out with the movie, like the very first movie, if mm-hmm. you went to like Target or Walmart, like everything was tar- like everything was Twilight, like oh, yeah. t-shirts, stickers, like everything was Twilight. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was, I was, um, when the books and the movies came out, I was living in Utah County, and it was so popular, I remember. It was so popular, and Katie, I have to ask you if you remember, one of the days that you and I hung out at Alta Apartments, which is where I first lived, Uh we hung up at the pool, do you remember that I had the book, The Twilight, (gasps) when I was reading it? Oh, my goodness. See, I would have never remembered that. But now that you say it, I rem- I can picture it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> because I had heard about it from one of our mutual friends. And how she described it was, uh, like, I remember everyone, like, seeing this, this book with this apple. And I was like, what the fuck is this book with this apple that everyone is carrying around and they're, like, obsessed with? And our mutual friend was like, oh, it's like, it's an okay book. It's just like something to read. But like if the first one's come out and you have to wait for the second and then the third and then the fourth and like, it's about vampires. And I was just like, meh, not into it. <laughs> but then I like read it because it was there and I had, and oh, it's because I started this job where I had to work night shifts uh-huh. and I was getting bored of the TV. So I was like, oh, I need a book to read. And then I read the first one. And you guys, it's embarrassing to admit, but I was obsessed with Twilight. Oh, my God, Sarah. I I went through those, and I read every single one, and I read them, like, as quickly as when they came out. Yeah. I was so into it, too. <laughs> Me, too. I was obsessed. I was, like... And, okay, so before we even get into the bigger picture or, like, the comment I was going to make. So, if you guys haven't guessed, we're going to talk about Twilight in connection with Mormonism. Uh-huh. And also why it resonates so much with the Mormon audience. Mm-hmm. Obviously, A, the author is Mormon, which, mm-hmm. Katie, I don't know if I told you this. Like, when I was finishing, I think it was my junior year at BYU, maybe, or my senior year. I took a creative writing course and Stephanie Myers was supposed to come because we had like every month a different author would come like a BYU alumni author would come and like present and talk and she was meant to come and I was like freaking out. I was like, oh my God, Stephanie Myers is going to come and I'm going to get an autograph. But needless to say, she actually canceled. I can't remember the reason. Something about with her flight was delayed or canceled, but she didn't end up coming, and I was really disappointed by that. Oh. But you guys, she's a BYU alumni, and I remember being yeah. proud of that when I like would move <laughs> back to Georgia or talk to friends from outside each other. Like, oh my god, I went to BYU, graduated from there. Um, Stephanie Myers is also an alumni, so. <laughs> Funny. Want to know a little fact? I was just reading the Mormon wiki page about Stephanie Meyer, and I saw she was a she went to BYU. And then another little like fact that they list about her: they say she's married and has three sons. Also, 
She's proud of the fact that she has never seen an R-rated movie. No! <laughs> yes! Oh, my God. Oh, give me the giggles. So cringy. So cringy. And also, I remember that I watched an interview with her back in my Super Molly Mormon days when the last movie was coming out, part one, Breaking Dawn, part one. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> was coming out that she was talking about the movie because everyone was asking like oh like this is when Bella and Edward have sex spoiler alert if you've not read the book first of all don't read it if you haven't read it at this point (laughs) it's definitely not worth your time but um so they're asking her like oh you know like they're gonna have sex in this one and is it gonna be rated r and she was like no we're gonna do it in a classy and mature way and like she was very adamant that it could not be rated r and i again so dorky but i remember being like proud like yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's being such a good example to the world oh wow i know yikes (laughs) but yeah so you guys so i oh i'm so excited i did actually did research on this one which you know (laughs) You know I'm excited if homegirl's doing research. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I felt like I was, like, writing, like, an academic paper because I was, like, really getting into the the symbolism and, like, I, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to compare this primary text. I, I went down a rabbit hole where I was like, I need to get some, like, academic journal, like, articles and compare. And then I was like, whoa, 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 slow your roll. I was even like maybe I should change my thesis to this because it's <laughs> actually more intriguing. Yeah. But I didn't. Um, but yeah, there's, it was really interesting to read not only why, because I never really made that comparison as a Mormon. Like I didn't understand why it resonated so much with me as a reader, uh-huh. even though I knew it was shit writing. Like, as you know, someone who loves lit and reading and writing, like I was just like, and eh, this isn't really good writing. And she uses the same adjectives over and over again. And like, it just sounds like someone who wrote a story, like had a great idea. But even then, I wouldn't say it's a good idea because it's stolen from everything else. So it's not really original. But I remember like reading it being like, yeah, this isn't good writing, but like, why am I so drawn into this? Like, why do I resonate hardcore with this and feel like I'm in this world where I like relate to all these characters? And it's like, oh, because it's very strongly like Mormon symbol throughout the entire book and the characters, you're just like, Oh, that's why. <laughs> I know. Like, I I was the same way because I, well, I didn't think of it that way when I was reading it, obviously. I was just like, oh, I'm into this. And now I'm like, whoa, looking back on it, it's like everything or most things in it are imbued with like Mormonism. So that's probably why it felt so relatable to us. Yeah, exactly. And, and why it was such a phenomenon in like Mormon community and why... But it was like you you could justify reading Twilight, and one of the sources I I, I have here in my little notes talks about this like it's all about sex without describing or talking about sex. Yeah, so, it's all about like resisting sex. It's like sexual tension, but you um, 
you avoid it because, yeah, you're not supposed to do that until you're married. So it's full of that, of probably what all of these teenagers are already feeling. (laughs) Exactly. And it was like easy to justify it because even though, you know, you're getting all hot and bothered reading it as a horny virgin Mormon woman or man, like you're reading it. And I'm like, oh, but it's okay because it's not saying anything sexual. Like it's not a graphic novel it's not like you know describing sex so it's okay (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's not like 50 shades of gray or the books I was talking about before that I've read recently like normal people or conversations with friends like it's not it's not like that so I was like oh it's fine like I don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed or feel like I'm committing a sin by reading these because it's talking about how important it is to wait until you're married before having sex. And it's just describing natural feelings. <laughs> oh, God. It makes yeah. me cringe. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So I wonder if we have the same resources. Because Katie and I haven't talked about what we've looked up. So we might have overlapping information. Yeah, that's okay. We can just start and get into it. And if we have some of the same stuff or differing whatever I feel like we can just go with it because there's a lot that there's a lot you guys there is something I guess we can start with that I noticed in the book is that do, do you remember it opens with like on the very first page it opens with a quote from the bible no I don't remember that yeah it says it's from Genesis chapter 217, it says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, if you wait, sorry, mess that up for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And it reminded me of the cover like you were just describing where it's like these women's hands holding the apple. And I found on Goodreads, that people were talking about that there's like a forum about it and it's pretty there's a lot of theories that say that this symbolizes like Eve's hands holding the fruit that forbidden fruit and that Stephanie Meyer paints Edward the vampire as being the forbidden fruit to Bella and it's like this whole symbolism right from the very beginning linking it to like religion and Adam and Eve which I hadn't even thought about before Oh, see, I totally did. Like, that was the first thing I thought of, but I didn't, I didn't know why. And actually, one of the articles I read, it directly said, it says that Meyer, so sorry, it's not Myers. I keep calling her Stephanie Myers. It's just Meyer. Meyer has said that the apple on the cover of the first Twilight novel represents Eve's choice in the Garden of Eden. Ah. And, and that was her basically... I don't know how much information she goes into it, but she's implied before that it's this uh, this idea of choice and agency that's supposed to go throughout the entire series of the book. Mm. Like, it's very contradicting, though, and I can get into a bit more like how Stephanie Meyer makes it seem like Bella has all this choice and agency. But in reality, she doesn't like Edward's very controlling and like she doesn't really have. It's very, very Mormon of like they tell you you have the agency to choose. But if you choose the wrong thing, you won't be with your family forever in heaven. It's kind of the same thing of how like Edward controls her throughout the whole books and movies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe we can go through some more. So I, the first one I have is this HuffPost, which is not like the most reliable, <laughs> but it's still a good little article review. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, I have. There was only like a couple of things that I particularly liked in that article. <laughs> ah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was actually pretty, it brought up some good points too. So yeah, go ahead and. Yeah, it was my least favorite one, but the first one I thought of that I thought was very spot on is how Bella like doesn't drink coffee or tea or alcohol. And like, she, yep. mm-hmm. do you remember the line where she like asked her dad to cut buck on steak because you're supposed to eat meat sparingly. So like definitely word of wisdom stuff in there. Like, yes, I think that's a yeah a big one is that she yeah doesn't drink or any of that even though she's in high school and and also the word of wisdom thing reminded me of I think there's a parallel there with the vampires how like the Colin family isn't like the regular vampires they're the good vampires because they abstain from eating human blood they yeah blood so it's like they're obeying their own version of the word of wisdom and that makes them like better than the other vampires and also going along with that like so jumping on that same idea that the colon family represents like this incredible righteous family there was another comparison that was made hold on Maybe you read it, too. I think it was in the Atlantic article. Oh, uh uh-huh. Sorry, guys. I'm, like, my notes are all over the place. But basically, it was saying, like, two points. So that the Colon family represented this eternal family. So, like, one being that, like, you know, they're the righteous family who are really good and almost, like, perfect. And Oh, um, yeah. She says so many times in the books how they're, like, so absolutely perfect and beautiful and like look like angels right yeah and it, they're immortal so they're basically like the celestial family and they call each other brothers and sisters even though they're not actually brothers and sisters which is another mormon thing yeah exactly that was the point like even though they like have these relationships within the family and they're not blood related like they're bonded together by this like eternal family idea (laughs) and like because they're righteous they're basically still together as a family forever and then also like bringing up the point where you know you have the colon family who um let me just get this article up this quote which I thought was good yes this is from the Atlantic article which Katie and I are talking about but how like it's the good good people are white in twilight yeah, apparently bad people are dark skin being yep. like werewolves or, you know, even the the evil vampires are like dressed in black and like, you know, mm-hmm. it's just awful. So anyway, so the, yeah, even like how they describe the Colon family, like sparkling in the sunlight and like they look like marble statues, right? Like everything is just white and like about purity and um associated with whiteness and stuff like that um oh here's a good one too so this is a quote from the article when bella is hurt she even mistakes edward as for an angel the ultimate symbol of virtue stephanie myers 
use of such imagery capitalizes on the reader's already entrenched association that white is good. It is simple math. If white equals good and vampires equal white, then it must be that vampires equal good. Ah, that's good. Yeah. And then you have the opposite, which is like Jacob, which first of all, like the fact that they have his, like that she made his last name black was like, really, Stephanie? I know. Like, oh, God. And how, you know, he's Native American. He has dark features. And he isn't this, like, inherently good. Like, he makes mistakes. He's flawed. Like, he's much more humanistic than Edward is, who is, like, the perfect angel, right? And even the vampires are like, oh, you know, they're good, but the werewolves are bad. Um, Yeah. I... Yeah, that's something that I didn't really think of that much until I actually, I read that Huffington Post article and how it says in there, I'll I'll just read this part. It says, by the conclusion of the Twilight series, Bella's Indian friend Jacob imprints on her daughter, meaning he will marry the girl when she's older and establish a genetic link to her vampire family. Mormons believe they share a common heritage with Native Americans through ancient Israel. The Book of Mormon teaches that a remnant of these ancient people came to America around 600 BC. Their descendants, the Lamanites, are among the ancestors of the Native Americans. Quileute names in this series are decidedly Hebrew. Jacob, Paul, Sam, Ephraim, Jared, mm-hmm. Beth, Joshua, Levi, Rebecca, and Rachel. And Jacob's last name is Black, a reference to the Lamanite skin of blackness. So I was like, whoa, the names it's like she's doing a play on, like, the tribes of Israel. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I read that one, too, and I was just like, <gasps> But also, it made me, like, gasp. I like that article, but then there were a few points that I was like, uh, and even when they said, quote, Indian friend, I was like, uh, should be an American friend. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, and then there's, like, oh, guys, there's so, there's so many. Okay, so the second point I'm going to get to, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, Katie. I'm sorry. I'm just so Okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, you're good. I want to just say something while I'm thinking about it, while you, because you were yeah. just talking about, um, like, how they equated, like, the whiteness to being good, right? And how they have, like, that really fair skin that sparkles in the sunlight. Okay, so. You guys, I attempted to do some like extra quote unquote research for this episode this weekend by watching the Twilight movies. <laughs> and I haven't seen them since they came out, which so I, <laughs> I started watching the first one. It was it came out in 2008 and I <laughs> it was such a struggle. I could not get through it. But I am telling you at the part where he where Edward like shows his skin to Bella in the sunlight and he starts sparkling I lost it I was like scream laughing all by myself watching that and then I had just this vision in my head of like it's not Edward that's having his skin sparkle it's Joseph Smith and I started laughing even more like oh my god what if Joseph Smith was a sparkly vampire I love it so much I swear to God, he must have been, like. (laughs) 
Jade but on. you guys, those movies, when Katie told me she was going to do that, like, I had to shamefully admit that I watched them, all of them, again. Oh, it was less than, it was Christmas 2018, because my boyfriend was at home in London for Christmas, and I was in Berlin with Jay, and at one point, I was just, like, in a sad Christmas holiday mood, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch all the Twilight movies and feel nostalgic. And, like, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't take them seriously. Mm-mm. And I was like, God, either I've grown up a lot or these were just shit from the beginning. So I, I decided they, that it was both of them. Yeah. When they first came out, I was, like, so excited. I honestly went to every single oh. movie when it first came out in theaters. Like, oh, yeah. I went to, like, the midnight showings. Yeah. Now, I, I couldn't even get through the first movie. I was like, this, I have better things to do with my time. <laughs> exactly, especially the theme. You guys, if you've never seen the first Twilight movie, please at least watch this this scene. If you want to have shits and giggles, like, it makes me laugh uncontrollably. There's this one, there's this scene where Edward puts Bella on his back and runs up a tree, and it looks like he has Fred Flintstone feet. It's just like... When I even when I saw it in the theater, I was like laughing a bit about it, thinking like this is kind of crazy. But then you kind of overlook it because you're so obsessed with it. But when you watch it, when you're no longer obsessed, it's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> ever. Like it's I'm like crying. I'm laughing so hard right now. It's <laughs> so bad. And like the awkward stairs constantly when you have so many stairs with There's her mouth open the whole time. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm so sexually frustrated. I'm a Mormon and I can't, I can't touch you, but I'm just going to stare at you. Ah. (laughs) Oh my God. So there's that. Okay. You guys, listeners, you have a homework assignment. (laughs) Go watch that scene after you have (laughs) listened to this episode. And second, go watch, like, there was an SNL skit that they did (laughs) very shortly after the first Twilight came out. That is like a spinoff and it's like Frankenstein. Oh, God. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's so good. Maybe it's not because I watched it like 10 years ago. Maybe longer. Probably longer. Yeah, it's Twilight. When did Twilight come out? Um, been Twilight, about years ago. The, the movie Twilight, the first one came out in 2008. Oh, my God. <gasps> yeah. Oh, this is 12 years. Fucking mm-hmm. hell. Um. Well, okay, so maybe this SNL skit isn't funny anymore, but at the time I thought it was hilarious because it's all about like it's just a spoof of um, Frankenstein as instead of it being a vampire, it's Frankenstein, and I think it's Bill Hader. Is that his oh name? Oh my god, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, he plays <laughs> Frankenstein. It, it's good. So, anyways, if you guys want to giggle, go watch this. You think <laughs> it's awesome. delightful. Oh, oh man. Okay. So there was one point that I wanted to bring up. Um, so the thing that I, after being 
out of the Mormon church and no longer like blinded by all the, like looking at the book with a totally different lens, I was thinking like, what was it about the book that really bothered me? And I think the biggest one is how they normalize codependency. Oh, like, yeah, it's not healthy, but in the book, they make it seem like, you know, being codependent and having your entire life wrapped around one other person is an like ideal healthy relationship yeah when in reality that's not the case like that's codependency that's and really unhealthy yeah especially for the for women like they make it the at least from my perspective it seemed like Bella I know that they were codependent with each other but it seemed like Bella was so utterly obsessed with like the idea of pleasing and being with Edward and like wanting so badly for him to make her into a vampire so she could be with him quote-unquote eternally right there's another parallel but Uh it was just like such an obsession and yes he was obsessed with her too and like stalked her and watched her while she slept which at the time when I read it I was like oh there's a handsome boy watching her while she sleeps and now I'm like holy shit, that's creepy. <laughs> right? Like, at the time, because you're a Mormon when you're reading it, and even if you're not a Mormon, like, how it's described is, like, this is what real love is. This is what right. passionate love is. And this is what a healthy relationship is. So it's like, well, fuck, if my boyfriend's not stalking me or watching me sleep, then I must be in a bad relationship, you know? Like, must be. Whereas, now I'm like, if Greg was watching me sleep, I'd like punch him in the throat. I'd be like, "What's wrong right. with you?" Like, and just he just he's just watching you sleep, and then during the day he's just constantly staring at you, but like <laughs> not letting you touch him because he's all moody and he's like, "No, if we go too far, I might hurt you. You don't know. You don't know, Sarah." <laughs> Which is clearly not like and then also the fact that like he's so controlling over her like but again the book like it resonated with like how I was reading it as a Mormon and a sexually frustrated Mormon and someone who was told my entire life that that's what you want to find is this like guy who you know is the man and right right and in the parallel to this is that he's the man and he's like the key to her um eternal salvation like she can become immortal and be with him forever but he has to change her and take her there it's kind of like how in mormonism to go to the celestial kingdom the woman needs to find a man to take her to the temple Exactly. Mm -hmm. And like how just controlling, like, you know, him asking like where she was with her friends and like what she was doing and telling her who she could talk to and who she can't talk to. And I'm like, well, that also sounds very familiar of my like Mormon relationships that I've been in. Like, I know. But this one, this point, I hadn't. I remember thinking it was weird reading it as a Mormon, but because I had never had sex, like I never did anything sexual before, like as with another person, just, just my hand. Um, (laughs) I, I didn't make this connection. I just thought it was weird. Like when I was just, when they describe her sex scene. So the first time she and Edward have sex, I just remember thinking like, what, why did she pass out? Or like, why does she, like blank out or blackout during it. And like one of the articles, I don't know if you read it, it was a medium article. 
No, I haven't read that one. Oh, girl, I got some good stuff for you on this one. Then Ooh, it was it some was... of the points I agreed with, and some of them I was like, eh, it's a bit far fetched. But um, so it's written by Rachel Wayne, and she wrote it March tenth, two thousand nineteen, and it's a medium uh, article, and it's entitled "Twilight Ruined Me." And one of the points she makes, I'm just going to read the quote. The most disturbing part of the Twilight series to me is that Bella completely checks out when she and Edward first make love. When she quote unquote comes to, she realizes that he destroyed the pillow while trying not to destroy her. First of all, when consummating a relationship, the last thing anyone should do is check out and pay no attention to what's happening. Secondly, the way the incident goes down is vaguely rapey with Bella consenting yet not being a conscious participant and Mm -hmm. nearly being mauled by a horny vampire. (laughs) Finally, this scene normalizes a problematic demand for young women to lie still and enjoy it rather than be active sex positive participants in lovemaking. How is this love story empowering for girls and women of any age? Bella is completely submissive to Edward's whims, tantrums, and freakouts. She sacrifices everything based on being in love. I did the same thing. I turned down friendships. I neglected my own projects and self-care. And I excused a lot of horrifying behavior because I believe that in the end, only love mattered. I didn't realize at the time that my action mattered in the cultivation of love. Wow. Yes, that's really true. Yeah, like, I mean, it's so good, like, how that whole sex scene is described. Yeah, it is weird that she just, like, blacks out or, like, comes to the night. Like, they completely skip over the scene and it makes it seem like she doesn't remember what happened. And this is after, so they get married, right? And then they... Of course. Constantly, because, yeah, they have to wait... Till they get married to have sex, and then later she gets turned to a vampire. But yeah, I remember. I remember thinking that was weird too. Now that you bring it up, like I hadn't thought about it recently, but I remember being like, that was kind of made me feel a little icky, and especially how he like destroys the pillow and stuff. It's like, um, yeah. like come on, man, that's not cool. I don't know. And then also another point that I thought of. Um, when I was reading this and even as I was reading Twilight it did bother me that the woman so Bella is portrayed as the inherently sexual temptress like she's Eve Mm -hmm. she's the one who's always trying to get Edward to have sex with her and like trying to tempt him and he's the righteous priesthood holder he's like no don't tempt me I want it to be perfect I want us to be married before we have sex and it's always her that's like come on, I'm unbuttoning my shirt, just have sex with me. And, and it's did like, you pick really? up on, did you pick up on how he, he's constantly like, we can't because I'll hurt you. You're like, you'll be harmed or yep. like references to like, you might die or like whatever. And to me, that was a reference to almost like your spirituality or your virtue, quote unquote, being harmed as a woman, whereas it's not as big of a deal for a man. Yeah, exactly. That you'll be a chewed up piece of bubble gum. Yes, yes. Oh, and something that I couldn't help but think of, like, I couldn't get through. (laughs) I got, like, halfway through the first movie this past weekend. But I couldn't help but remember, like, how he's technically, what, like, 110 years old. He's just been frozen (laughs) in that body. And she's 16. And I'm over here thinking, like, this is totally also, like, I'm sure it was not intentional at all. 
by Stephanie Meyer, but that's totally like a pedophilia reference of like old man being with young woman because he's so yeah exactly <laughs> ew I can't yuck um <laughs> yeah and then also I don't know um I think we kind of touched on this already but I just want to go back to like the sex thing because I think it was in the the Atlantic article which you also read um they have they like divide it up into like more like how it relates to Mormons, how it's prejudice, how it's um, talking about sex and the thing that they talk about sex, which I think is so great. Twilight is pretty much all about sex, except without, you know, the sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like what you were saying, like it's, you know, Meyer's books, I'm doing quotes now, Meyer's books so distinctive in that they're about the erotics of abstinence so the mm-hmm. tension comes from prolonged superhuman acts of self-restraint yep um, I know so funny when you look back and think of it but I'm sure like that's why it, we felt so related to it like especially as young women we were like oh yeah we know what that feels like and we were taught we need to wait too so we understand what Bella's going through like yeah yeah exactly yep and there was like I don't know if you saw this I mean if you guys are interested I can share uh these articles the last one I found that was really interesting was the religion dispatches article like oh I glanced at that one yes yeah yeah, it had to have been written by an ex-Mormon because they were able to make like very specific points to Mormon religion so talking about like what we already talked about a bit, like the eternal family, but mm-hmm. then also talking about on a temple wedding, you know, like you're bound for all time and eternity and you have the ceiling room and then you have that like mirrors, like the forever mirrors or eternal mirrors in the ceiling room where you have the couples have to face them and then they can see their family reflected back and forth over and over again. So it's like this eternity ceiling thing. And that's totally what it is with the Colin family Mm-hmm. Um, and with like Edward, you know, turning her into a vampire and eternal instillment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, it made me think of kind of like that parallel. I think in the article, it pointed out how Bella kind of feels sad that she might have to like leave behind her, her human parents because when she gets turned a vampire, she like has this new eternal family with Edward. And that reminded me of uh, how like Mormons get married in the temple. And if any part of your family isn't a Mormon, you have to wait outside the temple. Like yeah. it's exclusion from the eternal family. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh man, you guys! I kind of just want to go watch the movies again just to oh, get God. giggles. <laughs> <laughs> Something that like I really noticed just right from the beginning of the movies is that Bella's like extremely modest, like super oh, yeah. modest, and there's she never swears or anything. Like she even says "Oh my gosh" instead of "Oh my God." even in a PG-13 movie, which I was like, oh, man, yeah, (laughs) Mormon. (laughs) It's so true. Like, it's just the most cringy thing when you, 
oh god when you watch it because it is like it's it's so mormon like exactly what you're saying katie like she doesn't swear she doesn't like it's not a show where the main character is a teenager who's out partying with the rest of the school instead she's like pining after this vampire (laughs) who's stalking her and like watching her sleep at night (laughs) And did you notice she also kind of takes on, like, a domestic role with her father as well? Yeah. She cooks and cleans and is basically, like, that very gender role-specific woman. And she's very young, like, and the the romance with Edward moves so quick and they get married so fast, which is another Mormon thing. And then she gets pregnant, like, right away. <laughs> That's what I thought of, too. Like, it... It was making this idea of, like, that's what you... So once you find love, that's it. That's all you need for the rest of your life is Mm -hmm. this, you know, relationship and this other person. And you no longer have personal goals. You no longer, like, want to do anything outside of being a woman who's married to this angel-slash-righteous man (laughs) and having a baby. You know, which is... Nothing is wrong with that. Like, if that's what you want to do, I'm all about that, you know? Like, I think... There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but it's just how this narrative that is going to be read by so many young women and so many young Mormon women, like, that's their end goal. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you're taught is that, like, that's what you want to do, get married super young, pop out a baby as soon as possible, and that's it. Like, your relationship is your soul life. You no longer have an individual personality or goals or any dreams career anything like it's just this quote-unquote eternal companionship oh yeah which is why so many mormon relationships and not just mormon relationships but from experience of seeing it and witnessing it and yeah growing up around it they're so codependent like yeah. You're not allowed to do anything without your husband. And I used to get so annoyed with those Mormon couples because I'm like, oh, like I'm friends with the girl. Like, I don't want your husband to come with us every single time we meet up. Like, <laughs> Or the ones that share a Facebook account. Oh, guys, I'm so sorry, listeners. If any of you do that, I, I, I can't even apologize. I absolutely hate that. Unless you can give me a good reason for it for me it's just like you're not the same person you're not one individual you're two separate people I might get and you I should might trust your partner like I, I mean I might get some hate for this but I'm just gonna say it because whatever um I feel like every time I see a joined account I'm like oh one of them cheated so yeah me too <laughs> which I think is so sad but it's like very I never witnessed it until like I only saw it with Mormon friends I think I have a few like maybe one or two non-Mormon friends who had it and that was my first thought like yeah someone cheated um but then when I see it with Mormons I'm like I don't think someone cheated I just think that they are so codependent like they're they literally in their mind, they're one person like and they want to see all and maybe they just have trust issues without even having any reason to. It's just this level of insecurity. But I will say that um, and it could just be something that comes with maturity as well. But I think leaving the church, I got so much more secure in myself and 
also found a healthy relationship. But when I was in the church and dating people, I was like 50 times more jealous than I am now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like very insecure and like, I don't know, just weird about stuff like that. And now I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I would 100% agree. I was so insecure when I was in the church and especially with, with, oh God, I can't speak, with relationships. And I mean, to be fair, I had good reason because they all did like use me and were like shit experiences and said horrible things and did horrible things. But like, I would just never, ever think I was actually dating someone or that someone would ever call me. Like, I I just didn't think that I could be someone's girlfriend because it was always in situations where it was like, we're dating, but we're not like official. Oh, so God. I would just always be like, oh, my God, you know, I can't trust that this is actually like I'm sure he has three or four other women that he's dating. And that carried on like that level of insecurity and um jealousy definitely carried on after I left the Mormon church and into my relationship now in the beginning I think because I was so like right well who are you talking to like well if I he doesn't answer me right away then he must be talking to someone else and I must be the second option so I have to prove myself I have to be this person that's like the ultimate feminine good wife girlfriend material because that was still left over from Mormon days Right. And that ties in so perfectly with what we were saying about Twilight. Like we when we were reading that, at least for me, I didn't pick up on as much like the very like controlling and abusive behavior, especially of Edward and like that codependency. I didn't really pick up on it. I was just like, oh, like they're so in love or whatever. And now looking back, it's like, oh, no, that's not how it's supposed to go. And it's not supposed to incite all this jealousy and insecurity and stuff like that yeah and especially the second book to um new moon is that what it's called uh-huh. um where like the whole book is so depressing because she's and then that scene which so many people have made memes about it and I can't stop laughing for the year <laughs> 2020 they're like this is the year 2020 and it's the scene where Bella's sitting at a computer chair and the seasons just change while oh, yeah. they spin around her which I think is brilliant because that is what 2020 is like but also like that scene like the whole movie is depressing like the book is depressing because she just writes about the fact that she can't do anything without Edward and I understand like heartbreaks are intense but how they write it is like you can't live like you can't go on because this person is you like part of you has died and like you know it just is very focused on this idea of like codependency and not being able to have a healthy relationship, be in love with someone, but also still love yourself and have your relationship with yourself and with others and have a life outside of that person as well. Like, well said. Yeah. Um, I actually hated that book. I thought it was the second one was like, I was like, oh, I don't care about it. It was really sad. I remember were you, you know how there was like the rival of like, Team Edward versus Jacob. Who? What side were you on? I because how they presented Jacob in the book and in the movie. I would say they make it seem okay. So first of all, the book. I think I was Jacob. Like in the first book, I was like okay. So let me just backtrack. The first book, I was definitely Edward. The second book, I was like "Mm, I think I'm Jacob. 
But then the third book, I was like, oh, shit, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure which one until it's revealed that like he imprints on their daughter and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, oh, okay, they made the decision for me. But what killed it for me is that I didn't like the actor who they picked for Jacob mm. in the movie. And so, and I also didn't like Robert Pattinson. So for me, it was like with the movie, I was like, oh, I don't really like either of them. I don't like, <laughs> I'm not a fan. But I guess overall it would be back in the day, I was the, the warped one who chose Edward. No, I was, you. I was too. And I, looking back, I'm like very ashamed. That that's, yeah. It's like you read the book and like, I don't know, as a younger person, a younger woman, it's like, oh, blah, 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 romance. And now it makes me want to vomit. But a funny little anecdote before we finish is that, so like we said, um, we went, I went to every single like opening night of these movies and I would usually go with my mom and my grandma and, like, maybe some other family members. My grandma is so cute and, like, just the sweetest little old Mormon lady. And she, in, I don't know if it was New Moon or I don't know what movie it was, but you know how, I think it's in maybe every single movie, Jacob takes off his shirt. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, there's, like, the first scene of it in this packed, crowded, like, theater that's mostly women in Provo, Utah. I'm sitting next to my like 85 year old grandmother and Jacob takes off his shirt and she stands up and cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Like she was so into it. It was like she was at a Chippendale show, but for Mormon women. Oh, I loved it. It was so amazing. But yeah, I totally I remember when I watched it in Utah as well, everyone was like, oh, my God, like, woo, like, whistling and stuff. And we're all just, like, fucking horny Mormon women who either, A, have never gotten any or were married to a Mormon and never got any good things. So, just horny. I mean, it also, like, speaking of um, cringe-worthy moments, this is the last one, then we'll wrap it up. But uh, a few months ago, my friends and I did like a pub quiz, um, <laughs> virtual one. And one of the rounds was really good. Uh, I'm assuming everyone knows a, what a pub quiz is. I didn't until I started hanging out with Brits and dating one. But it's like, you know, you have different rounds for different things and blah, blah, blah. So one of the rounds was like memories. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend, she pulled, she went through all of our Facebook profiles and pulled out like quotes that we said. And you guys, mine was so embarrassing because they were all so Mormon and just gross. <laughs> and one was like, <laughs> pink is no longer my favorite color. It's now teal. anyone gives a fuck what my favorite color is but that's all the excitement I had as a Mormon but also another status I had was around the time of Twilight where I was like I just wish I could date a vampire or a werewolf no (laughs) Sarah it's so bad it's so bad I love that so much oh 
so cringy. I was like, that's it. That's all. I'm never going to get into a relationship because all I want is a vampire or a werewolf. So That's it. Just write me in to Twilight. Come on. <laughs> God. Anyway, okay, I'm, I'm done revealing embarrassing things about myself. So... <laughs> Oh my god, that was fun. That was a good little blast from the past and cringy moments. But we hope you enjoyed it, listeners, and let us know what team are you team Edward or team Jacob or just were you cool and didn't get into Twilight like us? This is true. And let us know what you think of this episode if we should do some more um comparison with like deep Mormon symbolism and things you just didn't know about. So Yeah, that was fun. Let us know. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.